welcome to Blue Collar BS, a podcast that busts the popular myth that we can't find good people, highlighting how the different generations of today, the boomers, Gen X, millennials, and Gen Z are redefining work so that the industrial revolution that started in the U.S. stays in the U.S. Welcome back, Brad, to this episode of Blue Collar BS. How are you doing today? I am wonderful, Mr. Stephen Doyle. It is uh, spring is in the air. I know we're recording this in March. St. Patrick's Day just happened. March Madness is going on. Lots of exciting times this next weekend uh, for sure. So looking forward to it. Dude, it is so warm out right now. It is just, there's no snow and it's great. It's like a flamethrower went off. It's fantastic. So on our show today, we have an amazing gentleman that brings to life everything in the safety area from management consulting business consulting, safety consulting, Tom Fitzgerald. How are you doing today, Tom? I couldn't be better. I'm uh, I'm here in Wisconsin too, so it's cold here. It was warm yesterday, but cooled off today. Dreary, rainy, but uh, we'll pass that off to you Michigan folks and peace people east, and we're looking for a better day tomorrow, right, Chris? Oh. So, so you Michigan folks, hold on there, Tom. Let's back that truck up because people can't okay. see this, right? <laughs> You're all doled out in, in your Michigan State green. And okay. then we've got Steve Doyle dolled out in his, you know, that ugly yellow M. So corn. something corn tells color. me, yeah, yellow corn, whatever. Um, <laughs> something tells me that there's this, that, that you're not a Wisconsinite true and true is potentially. Is that a true statement? Um, that's true. Okay. I live about as close to Michigan as you can get without living in Lake Borders right out in Lake Michigan. But <laughs> Perfect. I'm a cheese. I'm a cheesehead Spartan. That's for sure. Okay. <laughs> I can accept that. Good. <laughs> welcome. Good, good. Welcome to the dark side. Maybe. I don't know. Awesome. Well, Tom, everybody, everybody gets asked the same question as the very first question. Which generation do you most feel you fit in with? I am without question, 1000% a boomer. Awesome. Awesome. So with that, obviously we're here talking about blue collar space, um, talking about the different generations. A lot of stuff Brad and I hear back and forth is we can't find good people. And so in your time with whether it's your clients or your past experiences, how have you seen, I would say, the landscape change with hiring talent as each generation comes through? Well, I'm a former personnel manager. I started off, I actually started out working the day after high school in 1972 and uh, worked at, started going to work in front of a mechanical press with all of us boomers mostly and worked my way through college, became a supervisor in a foundry and then I became a personnel manager. Nobody ever heard of human resources back in the day. And back in my day, we believed in putting a, a really good hard work day in we expected when we got hired to stay with the same company for our entire career. I worked for companies for 41 years and only worked for three different companies on those 41 years and considered that a fairly decent career. Some of the biggest changes I've seen now with the recent generations is my son-in-laws, after they get working a job three or four years, they're ready to move to another one. Mm -hmm. To me, that was always scary. I mean, it was like the scariest thing in the world. I would never quit my job before I had another one in my hand. I wouldn't even dream of it. <laughs> uh, but now it's sort of regularly done. I think technology has a lot to do with that. Having a resume for 20 resumes on your computer, able to plug and play wherever you needed to send them. I mean, that all helps. 
LinkedIn and Indeed and all that stuff is cool. We never had that back in the day when we had paper applications. But that's the biggest change I see just in how fast things happen today. I mean, the world is, when I'm looking back over my 50 years of being in, in the work environment, I've seen so many changes that sometimes it's my, I'm kind of, I don't think I'll be around the next 50 years, but what's it going to be like 50 years from now mm-hmm. for my grandkids? Uh, what kind of careers are they going to have? I am scared about manufacturing. That's my background. Uh, back when I first started, manufacturing jobs are pretty prevalent. In Michigan, for example, where I spent the first 14 years of my career, jobs in the auto industry, although they were up and down always. I mean, that's the way I grew up. Sometimes my, you know, my mom and dad be working seven days a week. You know, money be good. Anything that my sisters and I wanted, we had asked for. And man, all of a sudden, somebody turned off the switch. And my mom and dad be laid off and hard times hit. Mm-hmm. But you could always seem to find a job someplace in a factory in Michigan. And then up until the last two or three years ago, that, that guy kind of might be so tight. And the, and also I've seen automation, for example. Most A lot of the, my clients, when I go visit clients now, I have robots. And they don't have workers. They have robots working. Mm-hmm. And that means there's going to be less people like me that are managers and supervisors for those robots. But I don't know that. The, so the type of work is changing. I think now people are more into being entrepreneurs and working online and working at home. Or back in my day, it was all working, going to a factory or a place of business and actually working. That's all changing. <laughs> I am worried about what my grandkids are going to have to work someday. There's not going right. to be jobs, per se, as I recognize jobs. I, don't, I hope I'm answering your question. Yep, yep. Absolutely. You've, you've given us so many things, to, so many different paths to go down. It was awesome. So one of the things, I guess, uh, I'm currently listening to a book from uh, Simon Sinek, mm-hmm. and one of his statements was that the average lifespan of a business was about 60-ish years or so for a organization. That is now down to 27, the average lifespan of a business. I'm like, wow. So when you say, hey, what about my grandkids? What about that? That is a very interesting Interesting thing to think about as life cycle of business has shortened because of M&A or acquisition or just flat out, we don't need it anymore, or people are just tired of it. So that entrepreneurial piece is very, very intriguing. As the great resignation has shown us, the great opportunity to go out and be entrepreneurial, right? You went out and was in the corporate life and either liked it, didn't like being retired or felt you had to go out and start, start your own gig. And, and you did. And congratulations. Thank you. That's a big deal. Um, there, I uh just got to the point in my life, I was 64 and I just got tired of working 60 hours a week and, and working in the corporate world. And to be honest with you, I saw my financial planner and he said, why are you still working for somebody else? <laughs> I said, well, I, I sort of thought I had to, you know, that's what I've always done. Right. He said, you don't have to do that anymore. Fitz, you got enough money that you, you don't have to do that anymore. Go do what you want. So I, I gave it some thought. And I decided that I'm going to start trying to take it easy a little bit, slow down a little bit. I'd like to be around to see my grandkids grow up. Mm-hmm. I was always working all the time when my own kids grow up. I have three daughters and, and sometimes I sacrificed for them. That's what I was taught. My generation was taught. Well, we were supposed to, just like our, my mm-hmm. parents were the, were the World War II generation, the greatest generation. They were taught to sacrifice everything for their parent, for their kids. And I was taught that was passed on to me that, they came first and I was supposed to devote my whole life to them. Well, they grew up and now they're gone and it's Sally and my wife and I. So I just decided it's time to do it. But then again, I, I did actually quit for a couple months and I, I would wake up in the morning. So what, what do I do now? <laughs> you know, 
I mean, you can play basketball. I love to play basketball and work out and take my dog for a walk, but there's only so much that you can do. Right. And I still feel that I've got an active mind. I love to learn. I love to train. I love to, as you can tell, I love to talk to people. Yeah. <laughs> I started my own. I started one business that didn't do really well. I started out trying to be an HR consultant, which I soon found that there are a million of us baby boomer HR managers retiring. Mm-hmm. We all had the same sort of idea that you, that I was having to consult. So there's a lot, a lot of competition out there for retired HR, baby boomer HR managers. So I, I have another niche. I've always been one of those old personnel guys that was handed safety way back in the day, health and safety. So not only do you have HR. That like Just like every other small manufacturer in the world, right? HR I, takes care of safety and I don't have time to do both. And I'm going to do both of them okay at best. Well, Back in the day in the seventies, you didn't have a choice. That was your job. Right. <laughs> you either right. did it or you were gone. So that's what I learned under. But so I've just found a niche in my business world where I, I do the health and safety, but I can t- be having been an HR manager, having been a manufacturing manager and a plant manager, I can also relate to those people because I've been there and done that and mm-hmm. I can talk to them. So I actually don't delve in things that I, that I'm not familiar. Like the other day, I got a call to do electrical and FPA 70E are class training. I know a lot about it. I'm an OSHA instructor. I can teach it from a from an outreach or a informational basis right. to teach electricians how to work an electrical panel. That's beyond my scope. So I walk away from things like that that I'm not comfortable. And I don't work anymore. That's something we I get. I don't work anymore. I do this because I like to do it. Yeah. Call me up to do something where I can do what I like to do and love to do. I'm all you and then you want to pay me for it on top. Yes, exactly. Now we're talking. We well, are now, talking. You now. want me to work? I'm done with that, brother. I did. I served my 45 years. I, I'm sorry. I don't. I don't mean to sound. That's the problem with you, boomers. You check out. <laughs> well, well, maybe I checked out, but I went down and cut wood all day yesterday out in the woods. Yeah, I like to do that. Now, does that yeah. work? Yeah, it's work, but that's not work to me. Right. Yeah. Work is doing something you don't like to do. So I don't do, I guess that's the bottom line. I don't do what I don't want to, don't like anymore. Right. So if they told me to fire. We could say, we could say that you're more like a millennial than others, potentially, because that's I'm a hippie. I'm a hippie. Okay. (laughs) Now I think us hippies were millennials before there was a word called millennial. (laughs) That's what I think. Now I don't have long hair because I can't grow it anymore. Neither do I. I could. I'd have on those nice ponytails and I'd be a hippie. <laughs> awesome. I am a hippie in here. Okay? I, I had one of the gentlemen I used to work with back at Busaris, one of our quality guys. Um, he retired early and he was that guy. Long, long hair, just grow the big, long ponytail, went down the middle of his back. And then finally he cut it off at, at one point because his wife made him. Well, <laughs> right. You happy, got me. Wife, ha- happy wife, happy wife, happy life. You got me. You got me. Awesome. So with all your vast, vast experience in in multiple areas, what are some things you're seeing with in the in the blue collar space today that you're seeing some of your clients or you're seeing something in the space that's working really well at, I'll call it attracting talent? There's a pre-COVID and COVID. Okay, mm-hmm. now we're post kind of, I don't know if it's post COVID because we're still dealing with it, but the, the COVID reality is the way I like to say it. Yeah. I think we're, most of us realize we're just going to learn to live with it. Yep. It's not going to ever go away. It's not going to go back to, it's never going to go back to January of 2020 before we had to worry about COVID. It's not going to be like that anymore. So we just got to deal with it. 
Yeah. So now there's that's another time. So pre-COVID, as I recollect, I was struggling to get my business going, working with a lot of clients. And a lot of the HR people I talked to were just beating their heads out over the wall trying to get people. I mean, they just couldn't get people. And I work with manufacturing, small manufacturing companies from, you know, anywhere from 50 to 300 to 350 employees in my niche of health and safety. Most people that are above the 300 level employees have full-time safety people. So they may use me to do some jobs here and there, but I'm more, I like to consult on an ongoing basis. So I like to work with people that don't have full-time safety people. Mm -hmm. So I would go in, the HR managers would always be distracted. But then COVID came along and COVID just kind of sucked the air out of everything. Okay. Everybody was just on that and still trying to find people because we were still trying to make stuff and go full bang on trying to make stuff. Okay. So now I see us try to train this transition period where we're coming out of the, we're trying to, we're trying to, we're learning how to live with COVID and still run our business. But I don't see this mad dash, at least in my area here in Northeast Wisconsin, where we're trying, you know, they'll hire any warm body that comes in the, in the, in the plant. Okay. They're, they're able to be a little more selective, but I see some of the people that I work with, and again, this is mid-sized manufacturing that I mostly deal with now. Mm-hmm. The people that think out of the box, doing things that for me are unusual, like like I have a lady that I work with right now that uh, she's one of my better best customers. She's actually doing it like almost like you guys. She's doing TV spots or radio spots, excuse me, on the local radio station where they plug the company and plug the you know the, the jobs that they have. I see signs, these electronic billboards all over the place where. One of my employers has a big billboard outside the plant with a big arrow pointing to their HR office. <laughs> That's awesome. And one of the things I see is and just bidding the wage rate up. Right now here, and I'm sure it's even more so down in Chris in in uh, or Brad down in Milwaukee, they're paying 25 bucks an hour now up here to sweep the floor. Mm-hmm. So the Walmart, it's the Walmarts and the and the McDonald's and all that. I walked into McDonald's just son, my my grandson yesterday. He was eight years old. And he's begging me for a, what, a shamrock shake. I'm not trying to plug shamrock shake. I don't like <laughs> I don't like mint, so I don't like them. But he wanted well, to have one. But yet he wears the color. <laughs> well, first of all, everything was automated. There was nobody yeah. to take our order. I had to I had to push buttons to get what we wanted. Mm-hmm. And then all the milkshake machines. I don't know if it's an all all McDonald's, but all the McDonald's up here. You can't get a milkshake. All the milkshakes are down. There's some big, huge lawsuit going on about McDonald's milkshake machines. <laughs> so you can't buy You can't buy a shamrock shake in a St. Patrick's Day. What the heck's going on? What's this world coming to? <laughs> I don't like them anyways. I don't like mint. Exactly. Then he had to go to Culver's and ask for a mint concrete, mint chip concrete. No, he didn't want that. He just wanted French fries after that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> A long time since I've been an eight-year-old, so what can I say? Except I do have five grandkids, and he's the youngest, so he's the last one. <laughs> but in any case, I guess that's the world we live in. I, but could you imagine going to McDonald's and you can't buy a milkshake because they don't have milkshake machines? They don't have around? any workers. They don't have the workers. They don't have anybody to repair the machines. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you can get an Elmo shake where you guys live, but you can't get one here. Yes. Now that you mentioned it, I haven't seen it on the. I haven't seen it on the menu at all. They have it posted. They have it on the, the, the you know, when you walk to McDonald's, they have pictures of the cheeseburger and Big Macs. They had yep. big chip pictures of them. Okay. Huh. Of Emerald, you know, the shakes. And I thought, well, I'm going to be a hero here for my grandson. So I get my grandma sent me $5. I want to give all my grandkids St. Patrick's Day, right? So I give him, so he's balling. So I ended up having to give him 20 bucks just to get him to be quiet. Smart kid. <laughs> yeah. He takes that yep. grandpa. What can I say? Smart kid. He made four times ROI on that deal. That's right. <laughs> 
and he got fries. Well, I don't know. We got way off how we're going to get, get Emerald Shakes for everybody. That's the way you can get some employees, I think. There you go. But that is a uh, that is a true statement, right? What are those small things that you can do for the employees that are not necessarily high cost? Um, even though everybody wants to believe it's about wages, um, there there is some truth to that. But if you can create that sense of, particularly for the younger, that sense of purpose, that sense of work-life balance, different work shifts, different things like that, that are untraditional, that, that's created some better opportunities for some of my client base as well is how do I do something different? I got a lot of construction clients and you know, showing up at sunrise when we're not going to do anything for four hours doesn't get a lot of people very excited. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think things come back around. You know what I mean? Things are cyclical. Yep. Well, I remember sitting at Michigan State having to take a class called management theory. And they're trying to teach me about XY management. And, and then they talk about Mr. Maslow okay, and the hierarchy oh, yeah. needs. Hierarchy needs, yep. Now, back in those days, after that, I was more interested in chasing girls and drinking beer than old Mr. Maslow. <laughs> but I have to admit, what he taught us is really pretty much true. Mm-hmm. I mean, you take, if you can take care of p- p- people's physical needs and you're going up the hierarchy, then you can get to the higher, higher things that just exactly what you're talking about. Right. self-actualization and all those cool things so it's almost since people's most of the basic needs are met today and you're paying 20 people 25 dollars an hour to sweep floors my opinion then you got to start thinking about higher level needs and right. satisfying those so right. it gets back to the bait my my point is here you get you're getting back to the basics of what we were taught way back in school when Maslow lived, what, the 19th century, way in the early in the 19th century or something? Uh, it was a while ago. I'd have to look up the dates. But yeah, you're right. I mean, the that those baseline physiological needs for not for everybody, but for a vast majority of individuals, the food, shelter, clothing, those things, the safety needs, the, fam- the belonging needs for a greater portion of the population, it's it's already there. So now you got to, what's next? You got to get to that esteem and you got to get to those other those other bits that are more important. So here's another topic that's sort of related. You asked me how business back in the seventies and eighties. Well, I remember when I first went to work back in Southeastern Michigan, the best cars made were U S cars. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I remember going, I remember going to a car show at Norwoods Institute in up by uh, Midland Northwoods Mm -hmm. or Norwoods where they had a big car show. Yeah. And I remember this was like 78. They had a Dodge Ram pickup there. Yeah. And there was like an inch and a half gap in the tailgate between the tailgate and the fender of the truck. Mm-hmm. And I thought, my God, this is supposed to be the best car shows in the country. And they got a tailgate that looks like that. And right next to it was a Toyota Tundra. And I'd never seen a Toyota pickup before in my life. Mm-hmm. And I went over and looked at that and the tailgate was nice and tight. I slammed the door and a clump just like it's supposed to. And I thought, oh, crap, mm-hmm. we're in trouble. And sure enough. So then we got into this thing called world-class manufacturing in the 80s. Statistical yeah. process control. The Gucci man, it swept the auto industry. And I was right in the middle of it. Yep. And it was all about continuous improvement. It world-class manufacturing. We're going to do all this cool stuff. Okay. Now I'm jumping ahead now to the two, early 2000s. I worked for a, company, a big, huge company that I love called Parker Hannifin. Mm-hmm. Largest, world's largest manufacturer of hydraulic components. If you work for B. Cyrus. Use our parts or Manitowoc cranes or whoever. We talk about lean manufacturing. And I'm setting in all these lean seminars because Parker's in, really into lean. Like, holy moly, I've heard about this stuff all before. It was called something else. It was called something else. <laughs> yeah, but it's consult- the same stuff about continually improving. We're always getting better, driving the waste out. All the so I guess I'm saying they're the same things, but they just call them different things a lot of time, a lot of times. 
Right. Not that I'm, I'm not trying to discount. I'm a lean convert. I love them. After working for Parker for 20 years and living and breathing lean, I'm all about it. Mm -hmm. We were doing it back in the 80s. We just called it world-class manufacturing in the auto, automobile industry. Right. SPC, Taguchi. I remember sitting in class and they're trying to teach me uh, um, the tightness of a spread in, yes. a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a normal distribution. CPK, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, CP and CPK. I think, wow, I've seen this stuff before. Where have I seen it before? Then I remember I had this stuff in college way back in, again, I was trying to chase girls and drink beer, but <laughs> I wish I'd have paid attention back then. Mm -hmm. So again, it keeps, <laughs> things keep coming around. They keep coming around again, only just named a little different sometimes. Right, right. I've seen that. Technology sometimes makes it easier to implement yeah. and use those. Well, well, back when I had to figure out a standard deviation Back in the 70s, early 70s, mid 70s, we had to do it by hand. We didn't have calculators. You just type in the, the data bunch and push a button and sigma, bam, there it is. Right. Mm -hmm. I had to use a slider. You, you guys don't know what slide rules are. Of course I do. Well, you might. He doesn't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> are you judging the based on his hair or my hair? How are you making that? Tom, how are you making that determination? <laughs> well, he's a Michigan guy. They don't know anything about that. It's crap. No, no. <laughs> It was a big deal at state whether we could use calculators in class or not. They just let us use those when the junior year when the engineering calculators came out. The red with the red lights. That really dates me. I asked a guy I was doing some training at something, something was mentioned about slide rules, and I said, "You ever even seen a slide?" No, nope, I don't even have slides. Do you want me to teach you how to use one? I got I got one back home. I bring it. Nope. Like my my brother, my son-in-laws, they won't let me teach them how to drive a stick shift car. Mm. My truck. They want to borrow my truck and take it fishing, but it's a stick shift. So you got to drive us. You want me to teach it? Nope. I won't go fishing. Oh my gosh. That's that's a no, bad idea. No, we're no, gonna no. go, we're gonna learn so we can go fishing. Of course we're gonna go learn a stick shift. It's not that hard. No. Nope. Absolutely. My son-in-law just refuses. Nope. I don't want I don't have any need to drive a stick shift car. I don't ever want to learn how to. Oh that's a bad plan. Ooh. That's another I, I've been burned by that plan. Bars. I can't that was my plan until it wasn't my plan. Because <laughs> I was dropped off somewhere and I had to. I was only given a stick shift. Like, okay. And I was not in the U.S. <laughs> try to try to try to be at a stoplight on a hill with a stick shift if you've never done it before and try to right. pull through the intersection. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. <laughs> Fun times. Absolutely. Well, that's why I can't believe it. I mean, my son-in-law, he, he, well, and he one day he just said, I don't like this job anymore. And so he just quits. I'm not going to work it. I'm, I'm going to go find another job. So, do you think, let me ask you this question, Tom, right? You brought up Maslow's hierarchy and and the the fact that the baseline might be there. Do you think it's that much easier now because that that sense of purpose and safety is pretty much recognized? We don't have to have that same level of well, commitment that you, that you grew up with, that I grew up with, that, that we said, hey, no, we're family first. We're going to take care of this. We're not going to take the risk. First of all, I have to realize when I first started working, I started working the day after high school at 18. Mm -hmm. OSHA was one year old, one year old. So I can remember a time before OSHA where my mom and dad were. Mm -hmm. OSHA recordable rate at that time was 12. That means for, for the average U.S. company in 1971, OSHA recordable was 12. That means they had 12 injuries per year. It didn't matter whether they made knitting needles or whatever. The average Now that's down to about almost uh, 3.8. Okay. So I don't care what you say about government intervention, no government intervention, all that stuff. OSHA has made a difference. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, the fatality rate is drastically reduced from where it was in 1971. Okay, but there are certain things that people now. I think people are more sophisticated. They they don't they won't work in an in an environment where I work. When I, the first thing I recognized when I went to work in this plant at 18, 
is the guy that came over and showed me how to wear the guards was missing two fingers on each hand. <laughs> and he's putting the guards on my hands, prick my hands. And I'm thinking, this guy is supposed to be a guarding expert and he's missing fingers off his own hands. Like, what the heck? Okay. And we had these, you know, sitting in front of a mechanical press, load pieces in, and it had straps on your arms. It actually jerk your hands away from the dies when the ram fell down, jerk your hands back. Okay. And he's adjusting those for me and he's missing fingers. People wouldn't, people just wouldn't do that anymore. I think people are more sophisticated. Well, now we have electronic guarding, we have light curtains and things like that, where they don't have pullback guards like I was in. Mm-hmm. So I think people are more sophisticated a little bit. I don't think you could treat people today like people in the 1920s and 30s when they work with belts all over their heads and all kinds of safety. I just don't think people would stand for that today. But I do think OSHA's had a lot. OSHA's had a lot to do to to promote that. And I what I ask people sometimes, and it's tough, but would you make things safe for your employees if there was no OSHA? Uh-huh. Does it cost more? I'm sorry? Does it cost more? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the rotator cuff tear. The rotator cuff tear. And I, I used to do claims management. I'm an HR guy. Rotator cuff tear. You're talking about 250 grand. Mm-hmm. Somebody tears up the rotator cuff at work. Mm-hmm. You have a couple of those and it, <laughs> it can cost big bucks. Okay. Most large companies are what we call self-insured. They don't, they say they have insurance companies, but they really don't. They have administrators that use their money. Yeah. The injuries can be expensive. And I think companies for the most part recognize that today. Even small companies have insurance companies. Their experience on insurance is based on their experience. So it behooves them to not have injuries. But the real question is, would you do all you had to do if you weren't made to do that? I would say the majority of people, the answer is yes. But those that are more, that have a different thought process, their first question obviously would be the one that Brad just asked is, is this going to cost more to implement? Well, that's what any good business person always asks. You're yeah. right. Okay. But I always ask the question, what's the cost if you don't do it? Yeah, absolutely. Again, you, if you don't teach people how to lift properly and somebody rips off their rotator cuff tear in the shoulder, that's a quarter of a million dollars. Mm-hmm. Somebody goes on an electrical panel at work and puts a screwdriver in there because they're trying to be smart and they have an art flash event. You're not talking about a court. Now you're talking millions, millions of dollars that they have to go to a university burn unit. I can tell you that from experience. Right. So yeah, mm-hmm. medical costs aren't going down. They're all, yeah, they're just getting jacked right up. So, so based on based on your experience and the things that you've seen, what would be some recommendations that you have for companies today looking to hire kind of top talent in you know, the blue collar space? I think you have to, well, let's just say that pay and benefits is a given. Okay. Let's just mm-hmm. take that out. You're paying competitive wages and benefits. I think if you can make the work interesting, make the person feel like they're contributing, that they're an important part of the business. You know, that's, this is their business, not your business. Mm-hmm. You know, I always, when I interview people, for example, when I was an HR manager, I looked for people that wanted to be part of my business, being part of my team, be on my team. Okay. They weren't just in it for a job and the money. The more you can promote that feeling that I'm part of something bigger than me, I'm part of the team. Now, there are some people that are just, they're just out for, they just, they want to do their job from three to, from seven in the morning till three o'clock and they want to go home and they don't want to think about it. You know, they don't want to do it. I mean, they just want to do what they got to do, get their check. Mm -hmm. But I always look for the people that want to be part of my team, part of my business, maybe grow. I want to, you know, maybe I'm going to start off sweeping the floors, but I want to become a tool line maker, an electrician or an electronics guru or a Steve or a Chris or a Tom or whatever, okay? And then show them a path to do that, okay? right? Maybe you send them to school, send them down to the local technical. We have these things in, in Wisconsin called technical colleges. Send them down to the technical college to take some class, mm-hmm. okay? Or junior college over in Michigan. 
Okay. Right. It doesn't cost you any money. It was tax deduction. So send them. Okay. Pay for it. Mm -hmm. But anything you can do to promote the person, I think the better off you are. That's nothing new. That's the same as it was back in the 70s and 80s. That's not a new thing. And I also think treat people, treat, manage your people like you want to be managed yourself. Gold, 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 golden gold rules. The way I was taught. Yeah. It's not, it's not rocket science, but if you could do some fun stuff like the TV ads, my friend does or radio ads that my friend does or have games. If you want, if you can you know, have a sign on bonus, if, if Brad goes and gets, gets uh, Steve and, and gets me to hire Steve and I give Brad uh, him as a wife, I buy him a dinner package to a, Best restaurant mm-hmm. in town or something. Oh, those are all kind of fun things to do on the side too. Why not? Right. Uh, I've got a I've got a client of mine right now. He's got a young uh, general laborer that he's been trying to get his buddy. He says, "Oh, my friend wants to come. My friend wants to come. He's tired of working where he's working. He's telling him, look, I just want to br- just get him to the site for a day, and I'll give you a hundred bucks. Just get him to the site for a day so we can talk to him. I'll give you a hundred dollars, and you can go use that for gas or whatever you want." You know, $100 cash bill. Just bring the guy here. Let's just for a conversation. No harm, no foul. If he, if it works out great, if it doesn't, that's fine too. Um, and this kid just will not get his buddy there. I'm like, dude, you just like, come on, man. For a hundred bucks. Yeah. For a hundred bucks. <laughs> just say, I'll, to get, I'll tell, I tell him, so I'll give you 50 bucks, pal. You go with me for 20 minutes. I'll give you $50 and then I keep $50. Right. I have a client. <laughs> I'm not going to mention his name, but they make hot dogs. They're Manitowoc, so that probably tells you who they are. <laughs> but last year they needed they needed employers or employees, excuse me. So they actually went downtown to the. They had a local supermarket. I mean, a downtown days or something, and they actually bought, they went out and rented a hot dog stand for everybody that walked by that took an application. They gave them a hot dog <laughs> and a package of mushrooms. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I thought that was. I thought that was pretty cool. I mean, you know, it gets really, it first of all, they got millions of hot dogs, so it didn't cost them a whole lot. And they got a ton of applications. Take an application and you have hot dogs. Right. And if you get two of them filled out, that's two more than you had, two more you had the other day, yesterday. And my friend that did the rail station, she went out to the county fair last year and just did the old thing like she went in the merchant's building and got a booth and gave away t-shirts and cups and if you fill an application, you got to cut. I mean, it, it's it's sort of getting back to the basics, I guess. You got to get off your butt in your office and get out and scrounge up some people. If you're hurting and you got to have some people, you got to do what you got to do. Go where the people are. And I also think it helps. I see a lot of the employers here that I work are going to the high schools in the in the fall, in the spring, recruiting mm-hmm. the new grads that are coming out. Yeah, at their career fairs and things. You know, the more that you can do and get them in the door early, why not? And show the kids you come to work for us. You're going to have to put in 40 hours of work a week, but we'll help you go to college. We'll help pay you for you to go to college or trade school or whatever. You're not in this all alone. Absolutely. Well, Fitz, it's been great having you on the show. We definitely appreciate you being here, sharing your advice, your experience with us. And just so everybody knows, you are the owner, the founder of Safety Fits LLC out of Wisconsin. So how can people get in touch with you um, if they want to, you know, talk to you about your services? Well, I have a phone number, 920-901-8860. But you can, more importantly, you go on my website, www.safetyfitz.com. With a name like Fitzgerald, I've been called Fitz. One million times, and I was trying to come up with a name of my company. And uh, most of my friends to this day, whether they're from high school or college or foundry or wherever, 
I'm always just fits. You know, there's a hundred million toms around, but there's not so many fitzes. So I like being Smith and Smitty and all that. Yeah. I met I bet you call you call Doyle all the time. I am. That is correct. So, and I've always been fit. So I just, as long as I'm having fun with my business, I'll be safe and fit. So you, so you embraced it and put it into the name, right? That way everybody. Well, back when I was a little boy, you know, there'd be Brad and there'd be Steve and Mikey and Jimmy. And I should have been Tommy, right? But they just call me Fitz. Because the other time, finally, finally in high school or a college, I thought, what the hell? I was just, I'm not going to change people's minds. I'm always going to be, my dad, my mother and dad were in the army together. My mom used to call my dad Fitz. So. <laughs> I might as well live with being fit. So you can yeah. call me Fitz or you can call me Tom. As long as you pay me, I'm good. <laughs> oh, that's don't awesome. call me and don't call me a Wolverine because that is bad, man. Oh. White words. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Tom, for being on the show. We definitely appreciate it. No problem. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you for your time and go make somebody happy. Right, yeah. Thank you so much, Tom. Have an awesome rest of your day. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Blue Collar BS. Brought to you by Vision Forward Business Solutions and Professional Business Coaching, Inc. If you'd like to learn more on today's topic, just reach out to Steve Doyle or myself, Brad Herta. Please like, share, rate, and review this show as feedback is the only way we can get better. Let's keep blue-collar businesses strong for generations to come.